Thank you, brother. I sang so loudly on that last one, I hurt my throat, and I thought, I better pull it back just a little bit so I have some voice to preach with. Judges chapter 8, verses 29 through 35 is where we're going to be. Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father at Ophrah of the Abizrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Barith their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good he had done to Israel. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you're being seated, please bow with me also. Father, I need and I want your help. We all need your help. I pray, Father, that you would please provide that help this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that he would please soften hearts. I pray that he would also open eyes. I pray also for some that he would transform hearts, that he would take off the heart of stone and put it in the heart of flesh. Lord, I pray that some within the sound of my voice this morning, whether here present or through the internet, would be saved upon hearing this because of the power that you have through your word preached. I pray also that you would use this text this morning to build up the saints. Lord, just as Mark prayed before the sermon, that you would speak to us through the word. We love you, Lord. Please open our ears now in such a way that we will hear rightly and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled the message this morning, A Deadly Mixture a deadly mixture, and we're going to see why I've titled it that as I get through the sermon. It won't be immediately um, clear as I start off, but it will become clear as we continue. Speaking of continuing, let's recall where we have come from. Remember Gideon, in case you weren't here recently for last week's message, Gideon has just defeated the last of the Midianites. Um, he got a little bit off course there towards the end in why he was wanting to defeat them because they were God's enemies. He really started focusing more on his own agenda. However, he did fully carry out God's plans. And where we find ourselves today is the Midianites are, are, are no more. And now Gideon is living with peace on all sides from all enemies with the other people of Israel. But let's see how things are going for Gideon. I believe after Gideon's battle with Midian was over, I believe Gideon's battle within himself began. What do I mean? Well, I believe it happens in two different areas. The first area we find in our text this morning, the second area is going to be really more evident in last week's text, but these two areas are this. Number one, we see Gideon battle with saying one thing and doing another saying one thing and doing another. Remember last week when the people asked him and his son and his grandson to rule over them? Essentially, they said, we want a dynasty. We want a king. 
Gideon rightly replies, as you remember, I will not rule over you as king. The Lord will rule over you. That's a good thing to say, Gideon. A good thing to believe, Gideon. But how do we see Gideon living after that? (laughs) How we see him living after that is this. We see lots of gold and lots of wives, just like a king. He even names his son, who he had with his concubine, he names him Abimelech. Do you know what that word means? The son of a king. That's what it means. Or the king's son, Abimelech. So Gideon, if you don't want to be king over the people, why are you living like a king and believing you're a king? That's what question I have for Gideon here. You're saying, I will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. He'll be your king. But then he goes on to live just like a king and to think of himself as a king because he calls his son, son of a king. But then in verse 29, I just see the struggle within Gideon. Because in verse 29, there's more of a struggle. It tells us that he was just living in his original home that the Lord had, had found him in when the Lord first found him. It says in verse 29, he went and lived in his own house. The one from his own town. He's torn, I believe, knowing he needs to just live a simple life, but also not really living such a simple, humble life, is he? Amassing wealth and amassing wives, saying one thing, doing another, knowing one thing needs to be true, yet doing another, telling the people he will not rule over them as king, yet still believing he is actually a king. Secondly, and this was more clear from last week's message, this is the second area where I believe there's this battle, there's this tension within Gideon, and he just keeps swinging back and forth between it not really ever resolving it fully. We also see Gideon knowing that he's supposed to worship the Lord and knowing that he's supposed to lead others in right worship of the Lord, but then not actually following through with that. How? He creates a golden ephod of the gold that he requested from all the men after the battle. After all, the ephod was the plate worn on the front of the garments of the high priest. It had 12 different stones in it that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Surely, that would encourage the people to worship. In his mind, he's thinking, I want to make some sort of physical, visible symbol that the people can look at and be encouraged to worship the one true God. After all, this is what the priest wore that God told him to wear. So let me make that. Well, it encouraged worship, all right, Gideon. The people began to worship it. But Gideon didn't stop them from worshiping it. Gideon would have known it was being worshiped. Why do I say that? Because he placed it in his hometown. He would have had full knowledge that the people in that town were worshiping this golden ephod. Instead of actually stopping it, stepping up and doing something about it, he took the easy road and did nothing. It's so much easier to do nothing than it is to do something. Do you know why? Because all you have to do nothing is nothing. It's very easy to do nothing. And that's what Gideon did. 
It's crazy, though, because after walking in such obedience to the Lord in the beginning, I mean, he stormed the ranks of 135,000 Midianites with only 300 men at his back. Wow. Here, in later years, he's unwilling to even walk into town and tell people to stop walking in their wicked idolatry. He won't even do that. He leaves the ephod in the town and allows people to continue to worship it. There's a battle going on within Gideon. He's saying one thing, yet he's doing another. He's wanting one thing, yet allowing another. And I believe that struggle is not just unique to Gideon, is it? (laughs) That struggle is not just unique to Gideon. Is there something happening in your home Is there something happening within your sphere of influence that you know is wrong and yet you're letting it happen? If so, you're either doing that because you're being too cowardly or too complacent to stop it. And that's the truth. That's what it boils down to. It's not an attack from your pastor upon you if that's you. This is an observation from what Cohen's done in his own life as well. When I have allowed wickedness within my sphere of influence, whether it's in my own life, my family, some area that I'm responsible for at my work or something like that, when I'm allowing it to go on, I'm allowing it because I'm either too afraid to step up and say, we're going to stop doing that because of some sort of backlash, because of some sort of hatred, or I've been too complacent because I just didn't care. And one is a much, much more dangerous place to be than the other. If you're too afraid to step up, okay, pray and God can help you. If you don't care, that shows something about your heart, doesn't it? Now, God can fix that too. But one of those conditions is a much, much more dangerous place to be. Or, also like Gideon's first problem, is there a battle within you between knowing you're supposed to live a content life and following the Lord, but you also amass those things around you that only distract you from following the Lord? The struggle going on with you, within you, Like it was with Gideon? What are you allowing into your life that just serves to distract and discourage your walk with the Lord? Whatever it is, I promise you, it is from the wicked one, ultimately. What would have brought Gideon back to being the trusting and obedient version of himself? What would have brought Gideon back to being that mighty man of valor that the Lord called him? What would have brought him back to that spot? It's the exact same thing that will bring you back to that spot. Should you be falling into some of the same things that Gideon is falling into? Saying one thing, doing another. Desiring one thing, yet allowing another The same thing that would have brought Gideon back will bring you back. Repent. Repent of that wrong that you're doing. Repent of that wrong that you're allowing and remove it and turn away from it towards God's good and righteous standards that are found in his word. Notice I said turn away from it and towards God's righteous standards found in his word, not towards what you think 
you would rather have instead. No, no, no. Turn towards what God says. Or maybe you've never even been saved at all. Maybe you've never been saved at all, and you need to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus for the very first time, trusting that Jesus Christ took the punishment for your sins, trusting that the punishment that should rightly have fallen on you was taken by another who shed his blood and died in your place, taking God's wrath that he did not deserve, but because of his great love for you, he took it all and died and was buried and rose again on the third day, showing that he procured salvation for all who would believe. The battle will continue to rage on within you. Let me tell you, non-Christian in here this morning, perhaps, let me tell you the battle the struggle, this tension within you, sort of like we saw within Gideon, is going to continue to rage on until you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can be tormented no more. You can be set free from that torment. You have to choose a side, however. Choose God's righteous standard and watch God's peace come into your life. Or Christian, watch God's peace return to your life. Look at verse 32. Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Orpha, I mean, at Ophrah, sorry, of the Abizrites. Gideon comes to his end as every man does. Are you ready for that day? As a minister, I've been to probably more funerals than a lot of you in here. And as it says... From the writings of Solomon, if I'm not mistaken, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, meaning it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. <laughs> we learn so much about what's important, what's true priority should be in life at funerals than we do at parties. Is he saying, never go to a party? No, he's just saying it's better, actually, to go to a funeral because funerals have a way of reorienting your thinking because when you look down to that casket at the person that you just saw last week you think I'm going there I'm going to be there one day and maybe I should focus on what's actually important maybe I should remove some of these things out of my life Gideon died at a good old age it says but many a man dies well before an age that we would call good or old There are going to be empty places at my next high school reunion of people that were at my last high school reunion. At my next high school reunion, Jason Ford won't be there. Jason Ford, my friend, was at my last high school reunion. And then I went to his funeral last year. He won't be at the next one. The president of the seminary that I'm currently taking classes through, went to be with Jesus just a few days ago. Two weeks ago, he was doing his normal routine. Today, he's in heaven with Jesus. He was ready to meet Jesus, though. Thank the Lord. The Bible says it's appointed to man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You'll either go to that judgment with your sins still on your record and receive the due justice that ought to rightly come to a lawbreaker, or you'll go before the throne with a clean record, not because you've never sinned, 
but because someone else already paid your fine. The Lord Jesus, you will either go before that throne of God, meeting God with all of your sins, or with a clean record, because someone else, Jesus Christ, who deserved no punishment, came in and took the punishment for your sins. He was sinless, which is why God can count his actions as acceptable toward your case. Your case can be dismissed, thrown out of court. Why? Because somebody kicked in the door of the court, walked in and said, I'll take his fine, I'll take his punishment. Okay then, he can go free. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's appointed to man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Gideon went to his end. He died at a good old age. Matt Faulkner, my friend who I graduated with, didn't. Jason Ford, who I graduated with, didn't. Dr. Talbot, well, he was kind of old. <laughs> I'd say we, he made it to somewhat of a good old age, but he was still not old enough. Verse 33, as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. This text makes it sound like, listen to this, it makes it sound like Gideon's body was barely cold. Gideon's body is barely cold, maybe even still slightly warm when the people showed their true colors. Gideon's presence must have been some restraining Force. It must have had some restraining effect on them. It wasn't perfect, we're saying. There was this tension within him, we're saying. However, it had some restraining effect on them, his presence being there, because once he's gone, then we see what really comes out. We see what really comes out is who they really are. And who they really are is a vile people bent on idol worship. What are you like when the restraints are gone? We see what these people were really like once the restraints were gone. Do you have to have somebody constantly keeping you in the faith? Do you have to have someone constantly making you do the right thing? And when that person's away, do you find yourself delving into sinful, worldly passions that the Lord hates? If so, what does that, what does that say about who you really are? Isn't it time for your own relationship with Jesus? If someone always has to keep dragging you, keep making you, keep doing it, keep doing that, and as soon as that person's gone, you're like, oh, here's my chance. I'm gonna do a lot of wicked stuff now that that person's gone. Thank goodness I'm gonna do what I really wanna do. Just like Gideon left them at his death, that person's not always going to be around either. That person's going to also pass away one day as well. And will you then unleash the full measure of your sinful heart just like these people did when he or she is gone and, believe, and begin living totally contrary to what the Word of God says? Are you going to be just like these people? It's sad and it's despicable what they were actually like. You can see what they really wanted in their hearts. But you know, 
it might not come off as something so obviously sinful. Your behavior when that person's gone might not come off as something so obviously blatantly sinful as we can read here. What do I mean by that? Well, this is where the deadly mixture title comes in. What's the deadly mixture here? Verse 33 says that they whored after the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. Do you know what the word Barith means? It means covenant. Covenant. They created a false God called Baal of the Covenant. Who are these people? Who are these people? These were Jews. These were the people of Israel. These were the covenant people of God. These were the offspring of Abraham, the one whom the Lord made a covenant with to bless him and to multiply him and his offspring as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the sky. And God kept up his part of the covenant, and he did that. These people, the Jews, their males are even circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of the fact that they were God's covenant people. So this this covenant language is is a really big deal to the people of Israel. They are who they are. They are God's special chosen people because God chose to make a pact, an agreement with this man, Abraham. And from Abraham even to bless the whole world through one of his descendants, which we know to be the Lord Jesus. What they're doing is called syncretism. Syncretism. You can hear the word sync inside there. You know what it means to to sing in sync? It means to sing the same notes or the same tone as the others around you. We're all singing the same. We're singing in sync. You know what it means to walk in sync. It means you're walking in the same steps with those around you. We're all walking to the same beat, to the same canter. We're all walking the same. Sync has the idea of of, of sameness. So syncretism, or what we call synchristic worship, is the mixing of elements of one religion with the true religion. And it's common. It's very common in this world You especially see it very clearly if you've ever been on the mission field, especially in Central or South America. The Catholicism in Central and South America gets mixed with some of the old ways of the indigenous people. You'll see some of the Mayans. They're Catholic, yet they still sacrifice chickens to their gods so that they'll have a good corn crop. We saw syncretism when we were missionaries in Belize. There were a people group there called uh, the Garifuna people. They were from Africa originally, brought over as slaves. Uh, Their ship ran ashore out in the Caribbean, and they all went to different parts of the seaside there in Honduras and Belize. Well, these people became Catholic. But when you went into certain parts of what they were doing, you also saw that they had shrines set up to ancestors. And they tried to speak to their ancestors through having a young girl possessed by what they called a previous ancestor. And this girl would say things during these 
events. Yet, they're Catholic. When Pope John Paul Paul II visited Central and South America long ago, he said, it needs to be re-evangelized. So even the Pope said, this isn't Catholicism. It's synchristic Catholicism. It was mixed with all this other weird stuff, and it ruined it. It wasn't even Catholicism anymore. It's so much so that even the Pope said, this is not Catholicism. Well, that's what's happening here. The people of Israel have mixed elements of a false religion with the true one. It's a deadly mixture. Baal of the covenant. And this wasn't new for the people of Israel. Remember when another restraining force was removed off the people of Israel once for a time? The people, along with Moses, when they were released from Egypt, they arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses tells people he's going to go up on the mountain to receive God's word. Let's look at Exodus 32, 1 through 6. Exodus 32, 1 through 6. You can either turn there or it'll also be on the screen behind me. Exodus 32, 1 through 6. I guess I better turn there because I did not print it out in my notes. Exodus 32, 1 through 6. Moses has to go up on the mountain and he's gone for 40 days. This is what it says. When the people of Israel saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation saying, Tomorrow shall be a feast to who? The Lord. Do you see that? It's even Lord all capitals. He said, Tomorrow, in front of the golden calf, he said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. And they rose up the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And what's so interesting about this is they worshiped a golden idol made with their own hands while also saying they were celebrating a feast to Yahweh. But why is this bad? Why is, it, why is it bad? They were religious after all. They're not atheists. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the worst thing to be, right? An atheist. I mean, these people were religious. Why not? Why not just leave them alone? They were people of faith, weren't they? They were believing something. And isn't that good enough? It is in our day. Just be a person of faith. Faith in what? I don't care. Just a person of faith is good enough. No, it's not. And not because Cohen says so, but because God Almighty says so. It's bad because of two reasons. Number one, it's man-made. And number two, it's man-centered. 
Let's talk about the fact that it's man-made. Why this is bad, why Baal Barith is bad, and why these be thy gods, O Israel, is bad. Why synchristic worship is bad. It's man-made. They made the idol with their own hands, and they declared what the God was. Did you notice that? They declared what the God was. They made it with their own hands, and they said, this is Baal Barith. Let me tell you something right now. If you tell your God what he's like, your God. You know, don't you? You can make idols with your hands and make idols with your mind. You know that, right? Idol worship is not just what I've created with my hands, a statue of some form. Idol worship is also making a God in your own mind that you're more comfortable with. And let me tell you, as someone who's talked to a lot of people about God, maybe you have as well, you know, don't you? There are many gods in our land. We have a plethora of false gods. Now when I hear someone talk about Jesus, in my head I'm thinking, which Jesus? Monica and I were just talking about this Wednesday night. Which Jesus? She was hearing someone talk about Jesus and she was thinking, that's not Jesus. I saw a picture of someone that someone drew on Facebook about you know, Jesus like this and I was like, no, that's, that's actually not what Jesus would say or do. That's, that's not Jesus. If the God in your mind doesn't match the God of the Bible, he's a false God. Did you hear what I said? If the God in your mind doesn't match the God in the Bible, he is a false God, and you have created him. And congratulations, you've become just like the people of Israel. You've thrown a name on it that sounds religious-y and makes you be able to lay your head down on your pillow at the end of the night without your conscience slain, but you have worshiped a false God. If you think, listen to me right now, because this is so very important, because I see it so often, and the deception in our land is so thick, I can taste it when I talk to people. I'm telling you, it's getting thick, so thick. If you think you're following God, listen to me, if you think you're following God rightly, yet your actions are contrary to what this says, you're deceived. And I don't care what a voice might be telling you in your head right now, he's wrong, don't worry about it, you're good. If you have that voice, that's the wicked one. And I don't know if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies, but there's this character called Wormtongue. And Wormtongue whispers in the ear of this king whenever Gandalf walks in the room, he's not welcome. When Gandalf was the one who was there to set him free. And Wormtongue wanted so badly to convince that king he's our enemy. And that's exactly what I see, a deception on this land. I see it, it is thick. People thinking the ones who actually love them and want their well-being, want their good, 
there's a voice that says, that person hates you. You need to be far away from that person. Yet the people that want their downfall and want to plunge them into ruin, that voice says, these are your friends. Hang out with them. It's so thick. I'm telling you right now, it is thick. And it's happening in multiple people who I'm talking to right now. It is thick. Syncretism. And some of these people will look me in the eyeballs and tell me they're a Christian. (laughs) While they worship a God they've made with their own minds. The second reason why it's bad to do this, what they're doing, Baal, Barith, or these be thy gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Let's have a feast to Yahweh. Why that's also bad is because it's also man-centered. First of all, it was man-made because they made the idols with their own hands and then they declared this is what it is. It's man-centered also because we see at the foot of the mountain, they did this in order to play. They ate, drank, and rose up to play. And in our text, the people did this only after Gideon had died. They didn't do this while Gideon was alive, showing us what they really wanted to do all along, but they couldn't do it because Gideon was there. It's man-centered. Doing this is so very man-centered. It shows what they actually really wanted. We gotta wait until Gideon's gone so we can do it. This is what we actually really want, but he's still here. Once he's dead, we'll do what we wanna do. They already knew he wasn't crazy about the whole ephod thing. What they really wanted for themselves was a false god like the nations around them. I just hope and pray that if there are people in your life that are restraining you, I hope and pray that you will come to a right relationship with Jesus before those people are taken away. Because if not, you're going to plunge so deep into your own wickedness while a voice is telling you This is the best thing for you. And you'll be happy if you go against God's word. You'll finally be free when actually you'll be trapped. There's two types of people when it comes to deception. The people that are told by the wicked one, go against God's word and you'll finally be free. Then there's other people on the other side of the spectrum that are told, you know, God's word's not actually for you because you'll never be free. You're too bad to receive forgiveness. So you might as well just plunge yourself in wickedness because this doesn't apply to you. You're just too wicked. And both of those people will end up in hell. The one who says, I don't need the word of God because I'll be free without it. And the one who says, I'm not free and I don't ever deserve to be free. The word of God doesn't apply to me. Both of those people will end up in hell. And the deception works on both of them. It does. The people of Israel wanted Baal. But since they were Jews after all, They wanted a more Jewish version of Baal. Ours will be called Baal of the Covenant. 
For after all, we are God's covenant people. They wanted to mix in just enough to make it appear that it was okay. And anytime you mix Jesus into your sinful behavior to make it seem sanitary, you sin. Anytime you mix Jesus into your sinful behavior to make it sanitary, you sin. It's a sin to mix the things of man with the things of God. We follow the word of God, church. We are people of God, by the word of God, who walk in God's ways. We're people of God, by the word of God, who walk according to the will of God. I want you to notice the progression of the people, though. They didn't just wake up one day, the day of Gideon's funeral, and decide to throw God away and to worship Baal. They didn't just wake up that morning and say, let's all go get Baal tattoos on our chests. We were totally with God yesterday, but today it's Baal. No, it never happens that way. It never happens that way. There's always a slow progression into sin. Because if it wasn't slow, you'd notice it. Think of when you've fallen into something that just broke your heart. You did something you thought, oh, Father, oh, I am so evil. Why did I do that? I don't even want, I hate it. Why did I do it? Or maybe even why did I do it again? Usually, when we get to those points, it's not necessarily because anything we're doing per se, it's usually because of a lot of things we're not doing. What do I mean? Well, first the people hoard after the ephod. Later, they hoard after Baal. If you allow yourself to make small compromises, you'll later make big compromises. If you allow yourself to be tempted by what you might consider insignificant sins, you will later commit significant sins. If you allow yourself to be tempted and pulled away by small, willful transgressions, they always lead to big, willful transgressions. It's the wooing of the world, it's the insatiable nature of the flesh, and it's the strategy of Satan. And let me tell you something. It works because it's done slowly. It's all geared toward moving you away from what God has said in his word. You want to know how it starts? Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34. This is how it starts. And the people of Israel did not... Remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of the enemies on all sides. They did not remember the Lord their God. They did not remember the Lord their God. They did not remember the Lord their God. What leads to us forgetting something? You ever heard out of sight, out of mind? I have bought many a vegetable at Walmart. Put it in my crisper only to get it out three or four weeks later as a disgusting science project. Do you know why? Out of sight, out of mind. I forgot about that vegetable. I have murdered many a vegetable. I forgot about it. For Christians... Our compromises with sin and the world usually begin, again, like I said, not so much because of something we're doing, but because of a lot of things that we're not doing. When you let those things 
slip in, when you let the compromises slip in, it's because you've let something else slip out. Being in the Word daily, prayer, praying alone, praying assembled, church, seeking godly counsel even. It's wise to seek godly counsel. It's good for you. We all have problems. Hey, will you pray for me about this? I'm struggling with this. Hey, person who I know is godly, what should I do in this situation? When you find yourself saying, you know what, no, I won't go to this person with that. I got this. That's worm tongue. You got this. You don't need help from those people. After all, look how good you run your life when you're in the driver's seat. When you let those things slip out and you forget the Lord, you'll always let other things slip in. They forgot the Lord. They forgot his deeds, and so they forsook his ways. They forgot the Lord, they forgot his deeds, and they forsook his ways. That's what happens in your life, in my life as well. They started worshiping other gods, and they stopped doing other things too. What things? Verse 35. Them forgetting the Lord led to them acting this way as well. Look at verse 35. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good things that he'd done. When we go after the world, when we go away from God, we also tend to go away from those people who represent God. Just recently there was someone around me, no one in this church, who started falling into wicked ways. I tried to reach out to that person who, before this, would take my calls, would respond to my texts. And guess what happened? Once this person got into wicked ways and I tried to reach out to that person, no contact. You know why? Because this person knew exactly what I would say. This person knew that he or she was doing something wrong, knew it. Did not want to be around the people that represented God at that point, knowing what those people would say. They stopped caring for the family of Jeru Baal, and he wasn't even all that great, but he represented God enough that they said, Forget that guy. He's not a Baal follower. Let's block him on all of our apps, lest he reach out to us, because we don't want to hear from him. You know why? He always speaks the truth. And I don't want the truth while I'm in my sin. Because it confronts me in my darkness. And I'm enjoying the darkness because I feel free in this darkness. And worm tongue again is convincing you they're not welcome. When we go after the world, we always go away from those who represent God, a good litmus test of how you feel towards God is this. Do you like those who represent him? Do you want to be around those who represent God? Do you like being around them? But of course, to make themselves not feel the prick of their conscience quite so badly, they mixed religious things in in with their sin. That's a deadly mixture. You and I will drift into such wickedness when we forget the ways of the Lord by drifting away from godly priorities and godly people. When you drift away from godly priorities and when you drift away from godly people, but you still want to remain religious, 
You'll mix Jesus in with your sin. You'll put a stamp on your new religion that you created and it'll sound nice so that you can actually go to bed with a clean conscience. Do you ever wonder why your enemy, the devil, tries to distract you from church? Do you ever wonder why he tries to distract you from the word? Do you ever wonder why he tries to distract you so badly from praying? And do you ever wonder why he tries to distract you so badly from godly counsel? I wonder why that is. I wonder why that is. I'm telling you right now, if I knew there was a weapon behind that door that would kill me, and I'm your enemy, I'd cover that door up. I would distract you from that door. I would throw all kinds of shiny things in the other corner, far away from that door. Because I don't want you anywhere near that door, because what's behind that door can kill me. And I want your downfall, so therefore... I will keep you away from that. Why is it that the enemy tries to keep you from your Bible? Why do you think that? Why do you think he tries to get you so busy, too busy to go to church? Too busy to pray? Reach out to counsel. Reach out for counsel only with those that you know are going to agree with you. Why do you think those are temptations? Because he knows what will lead to his downfall. Let me end with this. You get serious about those things and you'll clearly detect his lies. You get serious about those things and you'll constantly and consistently turn from evil. If you get serious about those things, you might just become a very effective tool in the hand of God Almighty for advancing the kingdom and bringing others into it. That's why he wants you so badly to just stay away from those things, mix some other things with it so that he can continue to deceive you. The enemy can't have you serious about God. Let me end by praying. I want to pray that God will block us from these deceptions. I want to pray that God will block us from any sort of synchristic worship. I want to pray that God will block us and keep us from forming gods in our minds that are contrary to the word of God so that we don't end up like these people worshiping a Baal of the covenant. Pray with me. Father, I pray asking that you would please cause this text to be such a warning for us knowing that number one, we don't want to be like Gideon, torn back and forth, back and forth, never taking a stand, never actually doing those things that keep evil out of our lives because we're cowardly or because we're complacent. Lord, please help us also not to form gods with our own minds that we're more comfortable with. Lord, please also help us to not be those people that have to have constantly someone restraining us because we don't have our own relationship with Jesus Please keep us from wanting to change the truth of the Word of God to fit what we want. Please help us to submit willingly to it, seeing it for what it truly is, Lord, your precious Word to us. And we pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.